0: Dave how's it going good i'm I'm glad to be alive glad glad to be alive that sounds yes. that sounds drastic
1: yeah yeah so um i don't know if if you saw it in the news if it if it came out your way but a uh, tornado touched down in my neighborhood this week
0: yikes yeah uh yeah. is everybody all right yes
1: yeah I don't think anybody was injured um but I would say like three houses down from me, the, uh, the neighbor's house had their, uh, roof, uh, roof ripped off. Um, and, and like, I'm looking out my home office window now and I, I'm looking at the roof of my house where in the shingles and I see like dime sized pieces of, of, uh, like, uh, insulation, uh, from the neighbor's house, like scattered all over my roof. And, uh, my wife was walking through like the the night uh, the next morning after it happened she was walking through the yard and and was like finding like um hinges like from like doors you know and and like pulling them out so you know she went through to make sure nothing gets like sucked into a lawnmower or or somebody gets hurt or something so it was pretty crazy I'll, i'll put the uh a link to uh some pictures and videos in the website but um What was neat about it was it uh, like on on my phone and my wife's phone and all that. You know, it's like you get these uh, Google.org alerts saying that hey, there's a tornado, Um, take shelter now, and um, you know, it's the kind of thing that it's like, oh, it's like yeah, that's that's pretty good. So you you got to you know hurry up and you know run for cover and all that. But a lot of times it's like oh, it's it's raining outside, so be you know, or it's flash flood or like you. A lot of times it's really Um, you, you, you sometimes don't take it totally seriously. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it's like, I'm up in my office working late and, uh, it's like, oh, you know, uh, take shelter now and everything. And then, um, and I'm like, eh, okay, whatever. And then I, uh, I hear this, like, it gets really quiet and then all of a sudden it's like, I, the, like the, our house just started to like make this like creaky sort of noise and then i heard this thing that i can't even describe it it sounds like it sounded like a wooden beer can crushing and i think that was a neighbor's roof wow and it's like I, i i hear that i i see like like the windows of my house like wanting to like decompress like into the room i'm in so i'm like yeah i better head to the basement so it's like I, I I run downstairs, I run down to the basement, and then the guinea pigs start going off because I didn't bring lettuce. So I run back upstairs <laughs> and into the refrigerator, I grab some lettuce, and I run back down and I like throw it the guinea pigs and everything. But by then it was like uh, all all the excitement was over with, and uh, it's you know it's like even late in the night there was like fire trucks here and. Uh, um, uh, basically people with, with chippers and and people in the neighborhood walking through the neighborhood, you know, uh, uh, picking up siding uh, and everything. So it was, it was uh, you know, just from around, from people's yards. The the house next door, you know, they had one of those big wooden play sets and that was like picked up and like moved about, um, I don't know, 20 feet and then knocked on its side. It was, it was something else. It was like 85 mile an hour winds
0: wow that's amazing that's amazing i i'm struck by how poor the guinea pigs performed as early warning systems um yes. i thought i thought animals were supposed to bark and, and squeal and carry on when a tornado was on its way
1: well and and either that or when they want lettuce yeah
0: mm-hmm. it's not distinguishable probably the same <laughs> yeah i can't they need to be more descriptive yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Right. uh but your chromebook made it through okay yes
1: yeah, it did. We're still enjoying it. And there's a new update that came out for it that, like, VPN wasn't working. It was, like, kind of broken. So um, the latest update from, like, this week, um, it fixed VPN. So it's it's pretty cool. I could use OpenVPN um, and, you know, uh, use that. It's, it works out really well.
0: Nice. There- and I was at a conference uh, this week, which I'll talk more about in a second, but uh, there was a guy there who was running a Chromebook, and I noticed he had an SSH session open, and then he opened up Emacs and started editing some code, and I suddenly realized, like, maybe I don't understand what Chrome OS does because I thought it was just, like, a browser in a laptop. Um, Oh, I'll tell you what. I bet you that SSH client...
1: So Google implemented the SSH client as a browser tab in JavaScript. What? So, so the, the, and you could probably, if you run Chrome, there's probably, you know, in the Chrome app store or whatever, there's probably an SSH thing. It's, it's kind of janky. I don't, I don't like it that much, but, um, but it is a full blown SSH client that's totally written in JavaScript. Wow. That's pretty sweet. Then Google Hangouts, um, you know, they, they just had an update that they added a dialer and, um so i'm having all kind of fun i could i could actually use my tablet now to make calls anywhere in the united states for free or or whatever and Mm -hmm. um so that's uh it's going to be interesting but it's going to be add another layer of complexity like like you go into a meeting and you have like your tablet in your backpack and all of a sudden that starts ringing you know that's another (laughs) thing i gotta like mute and and not be embarrassed about so
0: yeah um I noticed that this happened uh, less than 24 hours after I decommissioned my Google voice number. So, yep. So I'll, so I'll take responsibility for that, so you're welcome. Uh, yes. As soon as I did that, the <laughs> the, 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 uh, the integration happened. Um, yeah, they
1: pushed the button, yeah.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. so how long do you think it's going to take before uh, all voice dialing moves over to IP? Because um, it it's getting to the point where it just seems silly to run a separate voice and data service. Um, yep especially because the data now sounds significantly better than the regular voice channels. Um,
1: yeah, well, that's that's one of the things, and I, I put an article in the show notes about um, you know, AT&T talking about doing Wi-Fi calling, and um, I guess there's a new thing that's going to be rolling out that it's like HD voice or something that mm-hmm. is basically it's voice over IP over LTE. Um, so it's, and, and so I don't know if that'll, Probably hopefully it won't count towards your bandwidth cap, but um you know it's, I remember when people would be like oh you you can't uh, call in over um uh, skype or a voice over i p line because it's the the quality is terrible, but it's actually much better than a landline or a uh, a cell phone these days
0: yeah, yeah, that's right uh, I mean even when we record this show, I mean the difference between uh Skype as an example and uh, when somebody has dialed into the show uh, on a landline. Um, I mean, the difference is just night and day. Uh, you can mm-hmm. absolutely tell who's on the phone and, and who's using a uh, VoIP. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah.
1: So how are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm, I'm energized. I, uh, this week I was at uh, a conference for an organization that uh, I'm an advisor to, which is the uh, open technology, uh, fund and, uh, OTF. Uh, these guys pay money, to developers, uh, for circumvention technology. Um, so Mm -hmm. they're, they're actually sponsored by Radio Free Asia, um, who, whose job it is, is to get broadcasts into countries that don't want those broadcasts, right? So, uh, getting information into China, getting information into Burma, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, so to further that mission, obviously they need tools that allow, um, them to broadcast or get get their websites accessible inside those countries, um, and then also to get stories out of those countries. Um, and, of course, the governments make that very, very difficult. Um, and so they need a whole suite of, you know, encryption tools and circumvention technologies. Um, and uh, anyway, so I, I spent a few days with some of the, the projects um, as well as some of the end users um, of the technology, uh, which was absolutely remarkable uh, some wonderful smart brave people uh working on this problem uh so i was i was very excited about it i came away i came away super jazzed wow yeah nice yeah it was cool uh all right david well, let's get to the show so what, what do we uh what do we got on tap here
1: yeah so this is all about man in the middle attacks um uh this week well mostly about that
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. Uh, so Dave, what is a man in the middle attack
1: so a man-in-the-middle attack is when you are having a conversation uh, or a, a connection with a remote system mm-hmm. and you have uh, another actor in the middle that is um, either eavesdropping and listening to you or actively, you know, putting content um, in the stream. Mm-hmm,
0: mm mm-hmm. uh, A little bit like Skype is doing to us right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, Okay. great. I'm definitely interested in this. Uh, so, D- Dave, if folks uh, want to learn more about Man-in-the-Middle attacks, um, if they want to learn more about the OTF uh, or uh, about your Tornado experience, uh, wh- mm-hmm. what, which website should they visit?
1: They want to go to dgshow.org. So, D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org.
0: Nice, nice. Um, and two great items on the cutting room floor uh, this week. Yep. Um, one is... Uh, a kind of a BuzzFeed-style article on uh, post-structuralism being described with hipster beards, uh, mm-hmm. which is funny if you've ever taken a lit crit class. Uh, mm-hmm. And then something my wife is very excited about, um, uh, anyone uh, who has had a baby uh, recently knows the appalling state of breast pump technology. Um, and so MIT is actually running a breast pump hackathon uh, nice. That my wife is very excited about. Uh, she is eager to uh, purchase whatever comes out of uh, whatever comes out of that that event. Um, so links to both those in the uh, uh, in the cutting room floor. So Dave, you found this. Tell me about brain to brain communication.
1: Right. So um, instead of um, so you could almost think of it as like uh, telepathy mm-hmm. of of being able to think something and have somebody else get it inside their head. Okay. And so. Um, there were some, uh, scientists that were able to, uh, prove this out. And well, what I thought was kind of neat about it was that, um, so basically, you know, somebody would think something and then, a uh, uh, some computer system would capture it. And then instead of sending it to somebody like across the room or in the room next door, they basically took that message, uh, and sent it across the internet to somebody in, it went from, uh, uh, India to uh, Strasbourg, France, and um, like so, like over the internet. So somebody fought something in India, and then um, it showed up in the person's head, uh, somebody else's head in in France. Okay.
0: So 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 the the brain activity is being recorded. Was the brain activity then were the was the recipient shocked remotely, or it was displayed to them?
1: Yeah. So it was um, so. It was, they were using electrical stimulation to implant the message inside the receiver's mind, uh, appearing as specific flashes of light.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. So it was shock, but it was, the shock was interpreted by the recipient as flashes of light because our understanding of the brain is clumsy.
1: I guess. Yes, that's yeah. What it At about. least my
0: understanding of the brain. Yeah. Right. Right. It sounds like it'd be easier to just send an email, Right.
1: Yeah, or just pick up the phone and call somebody. You
0: know? <laughs> okay, well, early days, early days for this technology. That's, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Okay. But you um, can
1: imagine having, you know, like, you know, reading your thoughts. So instead of saying, okay, Google, and then your phone waking up and, uh, um, you know, doing whatever you want, you just think it. And it just goes in, it just talks right to Larry Page, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I like this. I like, uh, I like the effect it would have on the silent car on Amtrak. that would be a a huge leap forward it's excellent Mm -hmm. it's excellent Uh, a friend of mine just bought uh, the EEG technology is actually very cheap and accessible now I was surprised Uh, a friend of mine just bought one and he's planning to hook up the EEG to himself at night uh, and uh, he's got it hooked up to a computer uh, which I presume he'll you know, record his dreams or whatever you do with an EEG, but um, he is going to take the data also and then stream it onto a website, uh, so that you could go to the website at night and watch him watch his brain activity as it's happening. Hmm. Which Interesting. Is, yeah, which is a which seems to me opening up an attack vector for him uh, that I <laughs> like. We're like we're now in like Inception territory, which uh, yeah like freaks me out a little bit.
1: Yeah, you're going to have people in India like implanting lights in his head yeah yeah exactly exactly Mm -hmm.
0: yeah that's right yeah um so phishing attacks dave phishing attacks uh tell me so first of all what are phishing attacks
1: yeah so uh, a phishing attack is basically you get an email in your gmail account from ebay saying that oh hey you're you're you know hey you just sold this or whatever and you know time to um, collect your money, and then you click on the link. But the reality is, is that the message wasn't from eBay, but all the images and everything, it all looks like eBay, um, but it—but it's not. It's to a malicious site that you get redirected to um, whenever you click on the link, and then you look at the link, and it looks like the eBay webpage, and you it, it wants you to enter your login credentials. And you do, and then it, it basically collects those uh, login credentials, and then it can go and then make purchases on your behalf. And and so those are phishing attacks, and a lot of times they would, you know, you, know, you always want to like, you know, even if like to me, it's like if I get something from eBay or whatever, before I even click on the link, I'll like hover over it to take a look at the 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 URL to see if it's fishy or anything like that, or especially if it's something I know I didn't order or something, um, which is hard to do with a tablet or a, a cell phone these days because you you know you basically there's no way to like know what you're clicking on until you click on it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then um but what and then whenever you get to the website you know you typically want to look at the url up in the top to see that oh is this like ebay.cn or something or or some shifty sort of thing or is it uh is it a or is it a legitimate url and is it encrypted and and all that um and so with this one attack it was like a, a minute and a half long video that i found is is pretty interesting where um what what would happen is you would go to this website and you would click on it and it would be like just some it could be a, like a random benign sort of website. And then it's like, oh, OK, no, no big deal. And then you just move on to another tab and you leave that tab open. And then like after like 30 seconds, the the JavaScript in that tab will it'll reload the page to look like an eBay or a, a Gmail page or an eBay page or or whatever you want. And then, uh, as like a login screen, so whenever you go back to that tab, you'd be like, "Oh, my Gmail credentials must have expired. I'm, I better enter them again." Where in reality, um, it's it's actually that malicious site. So, so what kind of countermeasures can you take? Well, it's I guess you know close the tab as soon as you're done with it, and you know don't have like rats nested tabs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and every time you go to you see a login screen before you type in your password. You know, check out the URL, make sure it's encrypted, and, and all that. Um, and then the other thing is uh, like two-factor authentication too. Uh, you know, right. is, is making sure that that's on. So even if they get a hold of your password, they can't do much with it without the second factor.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, man, it's creepy. So you want I got another creepy. Uh, I got another creepy thing. Um, have you heard of canvas fingerprinting?
1: Yes, I have. So, what what is that for our, our mm-hmm. listeners?
0: So this this kind of this surprised me. I didn't think that it would work um, when I read about it, uh, but sure enough, it, it works actually pretty well. So, um, you visit a web page. That web page runs some JavaScript to draw a picture on the page, and it could be you know something obvious. It could be something non-obvious. It could be something hidden. Uh, you don't know that it's happening, but uh, by drawing that image using the JavaScript, that image is going to be not perfectly unique, but pretty unique, uh, to your browser. Mm -hmm. Um, like you working on that browser on that machine, uh, the image is going to be kind of off maybe by one pixel from another person, but anyway, like unique. And so based on that, uh, the JavaScript can then generate a number, uh, which acts as a cookie, uh, which can be a unique identifier for you. Hmm. So even if you've turned off cookies, even if you don't want to be tracked, uh, this javascript can still you, can still identify you, uh, which is totally genius and diabolical um, as if that wasn 't creepy enough. Uh, this was discovered by researchers uh, being used in the wild by the add this service, um, hmm. which you, most people have not heard of the Ad, Ad this service, but if you 're reading an article and at the bottom it says you know 13 people have shared this on Twitter, 15 people read this on mm-hmm. Facebook or whatever. Those icons and those numbers are being provided by the add the service and add this allows you to, uh, use those icons and that information, uh, on your website in exchange for keeping track of the people who are visiting the page. Uh, and anyway, so totally creepy. And of course, as soon as it was announced, add this was like, I don't, I can't believe there's gambling going on, going on in this establishment. And they, you know, they stopped using it, um, uh, but, uh, something very, not, it's creepy, not only because it, it's obviously designed to subvert people's stated preferences, right? If you've turned off cookies, it's pretty clear that you don't want to be tracked. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, also because it is basically undetectable, uh, or at least very difficult to detect, uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, when your browser is visiting a website, it doesn't know whether when the JavaScript is drawing an image, whether it's legit or not. Um, there's, a, there's no way to know the, the intent behind it, um, mm-hmm. So pretty freaky. But I don't like it.
1: Yeah. And I know that um one of the things that I I do or I try to do is disable third party cookies. Um so that like whenever like it's it's kind of creepy that it's like I would go to a website and it's like, oh well, you know, your friend at Facebook liked this, whatever, and it's like, hey, wait a minute, how did this webpage mm-hmm. know that my that I have a friend and they like this article? Um and you turn off third-party cookies, and it would it would prevent that. The other thing is with AdBlock Plus, there's a filter that you could add that will turn off the uh, social uh, buttons, mm-hmm. and so like it'll just turn that off completely, yep. so you don't even see like a LinkedIn button to to share to or anything like that.
0: Yeah, that seems like the best defense, uh, at least for the kind of advertising vector, uh, because mm-hmm. those are all kind of purpose-built services with specific names and addresses that you can block, right? Um, uh, Especially because they're providing a service that most people, I think, don't care about anyway. Like, if I want to share something on Twitter, I'll just copy and paste the link like a human being um, instead of clicking on someone else's button to do it. Uh, But, uh, yeah, again, hard to defend against, though, Um, especially from someone who doesn't want to be found doing this. Um, Yes. Yeah. Gnarly. Mm. Uh, So let's see... Oh, events! We got events coming up.
1: Yeah, you're you're um, going out in the country.
0: We, oui. uh, yes, I will be in. Uh, I'll be in uh, Quebec City um, nice. next week, uh, speaking to the Quebecois government uh, about uh, how the U.S. Uh, adopted open source software. Talking a little bit about the history. Um, so I'm looking. At, I haven't done a talk like that in a while. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and it and it's been a long time since I've been uh, in Quebec. So that'll be cool too. Nice. Yep. Uh, let's see. And then we've got the, uh, the state-local uh, education virtual summit. Uh, mm-hmm. is coming up on September 24th and 25th. Uh, so you can actually go online and uh, listen to talks and, and get information about Red Hat products and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's focused specifically on state and local markets. Uh, so that'll be cool. I, I noticed that we're doing more of these like virtual summits, uh, especially because mm-hmm. so many customers of ours are um, travel-restricted. Uh, So yeah, it's nice to do it. Well,
1: and, and state and local, there's like, you know, every city, you know, it's, this is a, this is a way that we can, uh, you know, talk to a lot of people at one time, which I, I really enjoy it because it's, I'm all about the efficiency of being able to have this, uh, one to many conversations as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see. I don't know what else we got, Dave. So, um, you know, this is like, like red meat for us is, uh, uh Kurt Seafried. Um, he, he wrote a nice security blog article on the red hat security blog about, um, he's talking about how, um, you can use rel to see if you're vulnerable to, uh, known security flaws that have fixes. So he, he goes into like yum security and, uh, he's talking about, um, the CVE database and all that. So he was, um, uh, it was a really good article, so I, I put a link to that in the show notes. And then, um, uh, and, and I was exchanging emails with him, and, and uh, he, he said that he would be uh, interested in, in uh, getting on the show with us. So we'll have to have him uh, come on sometime soon.
0: Oh, that would be great. That would be great. Um, and timely for him to be posting this because once you find software and realize that you need patches done, uh, what tool do you use to uh, remediate uh, your security problems, Dave?
1: Satellite. Satellite. Hat,
0: satellite. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Satellite 6 just uh, just GA'd uh, yes. yesterday as we're recording this, um, which is really exciting. Uh, for those who don't know about Satellite, um, Satellite is the Red Hat's management tool. Uh makes it easy to um, update packages, makes it easy to keep track of your Red Hat systems. Um, and it's we've had this product for a long time, Dave. Uh, it's been yep. years. Uh, and... It was starting to be, get a little long in the tooth. I mean, we were starting to notice that it. I mean, this product had been around for a while and was yeah. in need of a refresh. And so, this Satellite Six is actually almost a total rewrite uh, of the satellite oh, it system. Is. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah,
1: it is a total rewrite because um, I remember, like, the original satellite was a fork of RHN hosted. Mm-hmm. And and so like all the decisions that went into RHN hosted and, and which may have made sense at the time for RHN hosted were that was like baggage and, and uh technical debt that, that the satellite folks had to drag along for years. And now with satellite six being a, a totally new um uh total rewrite, they're able to take a lot of the things that worked really well, uh, and bring them forward. But also um you know, address some of the sins of the past to, uh, you know, uh, really, you know, make it uh, a lot better. So um, I'm excited. And, um, you know, just to, to see that in there and because and, uh, I know, you know, a lot of times, I don't know about you, Gunnar, but whenever I talk to people about Linux, um, you get like, say, like the the person that uses Linux at home or the person that, um, that, oh, well, I have Linux in my department and I have like five systems and all that. And it's it's small time, you know, sort of like, well, hey, I can SSH into every single one and I can do a yum update on each one and all that. But the moment that you become successful with Linux in your organization, um, you're going to have more and more systems. And, and the complexity to manage them gets harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And that's where a tool like Satellite comes in where, you know, you can manage Thousands of systems, just like one, and from a security standpoint, that's really good. So you have this, you know, unified dashboard that shows you whether your systems are up to date or out of date, and all that. So it's a really good tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. And uh, and under the covers, Satellite Six is using uh, a number of tools that it probably should have been using a long time ago, right? Like uh, Puppet, Foreman, um, and so the. Uh, it's great to see uh, Satellite Six, uh, uh, like the Bionic Man, getting uh, rebuilt, stronger, better, faster. Uh, yeah that's, yeah it's pretty great
1: yeah and there's um there's a link there's to uh it's like a getting started area that i'll, I'll put in the show notes and I, i'll have to dig up there's we do the uh sa open demos too i'll, mm-hmm. I'll put a link for that
0: in there um that's really I, good i don't know if we have we mentioned the sa open demos on the show maybe not i, I think, yeah, I, why, I think it's about that. it's wonderful it's um so when you get a customer who's interested in a product what happens well they call up red hat and red hat connects them with their account person, and the account person talks to the engineer, and the engineer sets up a time with the customer to go give a demo of whatever product they're interested in. Um, Turns out that is a really tedious process for everybody. you know, it's uh, time to do the schedules, and uh, the it's a huge time commitment on the part of both the customer and the um, and the account team. Um, so, to make life easier for everybody, uh, we have started these open demos, uh, so that these are like regularly scheduled live demos of our software that um, you can just hop in and uh, and take a look. Uh, and so, you can, and I think you can even attend them without speaking to a human being, um, which I know when I was a customer was very appealing. Um, so. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll include a link to these, uh, these open demos because uh, they are a great innovation. I can't believe it took us this long to, uh, to put them together. It's wonderful. So Dave, have you moved to RHEL 7? Oh, I guess you have, right? Because you, you had the Skype trouble, which you've now resolved.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm all RHEL 7 up uh, since pretty much uh, a couple days after GA.
0: Yeah, that's, good. that's good. That's good. That's excellent. I, I am, I I have not, uh, I, unfortunately I have not moved my regular system from rail six to rail seven yet. Um, do you have any hints for me? Do you have any, uh, do you have any tips? What What you really need is a cheat sheet. Mm, so, no, that does sound good. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. where, I need, where can I get a rail six to seven cheat sheet? The The customer portal. Of course. Of course. Yep. That's the first place you should First place yep. you go. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dave
1: Sarine, uh pointed me to that, and it, it's really nice because it's like with System D and Firewall D and all the, all the different things that are new and cool in RHEL 7, it's like, oh, well, what was a way that, you know, I'm used to doing it one way in RHEL 6. Well, how do I do that with RHEL 7? And this cheat sheet shows you how.
0: Nice. Nice. Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. All right. So that enough, of the, uh, enough of the company stuff. Uh, let's go back to this man-in-the-middle topic. Uh, because it, the more I think about this, and especially coming from a security conference this week, uh, I'm now paranoid. Uh, I was smart enough to wear my Faraday pajamas uh, mm-hmm. to bed each night. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't wear Faraday pajamas out in public yet. Uh, that's, that kind of behavior has not been uh, not been normalized yet. Uh, so uh, what, what other kinds of uh, dangers are out there? And, and how can I protect myself uh, when it comes to man-in-the-middle attacks?
1: Yeah. Well, there's a whole bunch of things that, well, you really can't protect yourself from outside of just, like, not using the service or app or whatever. But mm-hmm. one of the things I found was um, there are, like, a bunch of Android apps that are out there that are that vulnerable to man-in-the-middle attacks. And it's, and it's because um, it may do SSL or TLS uh, communications to the remote host, but it actually doesn't bother doing, um, uh, certificate validation, uh, before it. So it'll connect and it'll, it'll do a connect, uh, an encrypted, uh, transaction, but it doesn't bother to check that if it's, uh, you know, um, Microsoft.com or Microsoft.ru. Um, and so it's like, um, kind of scary. And there's, there's a list of like 350 Android apps, uh, that are vulnerable. And there's like a Google drive spreadsheet, that has the, uh, that has them out there. So you can, you can take a look.
0: Wow. That's a, that's scary. It's a little bit like, uh, the guy at the TSA getting your airline ticket or your boarding pass and your ID and making sure that you gave him something that was an ID, but not actually checking to see if the ID was from Costco or not. Right. Exactly. So give me, so give me another example of a man in the middle attack.
1: So another one that's going on now this this is a new a new uh, article that I saw too that um, now Comcast is is doing this. So remember when we talked about um, how Comcast how to, you know would turn regular old users' hotspots into uh, Wi-Fi access points that are available <laughs> yeah. to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, isn't that great? So whenever you connect to that Comcast hotspot for free, uh, Comcast uh, will. Uh, Use JavaScript to inject uh, Comcast ads um, into the web pages you're looking at.
0: Charming. Uh, I guess I. I mean, I wouldn't care too much about that as I use uh, AdBlock as you do. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm sure that the publishers are delighted about the fact that Comcast is now selling advertising space on their websites.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and also, um, you know, it's it's advertising. But what about? I mean it it's one thing to have stop an ad <laughs> yeah right right where you could just oh let's let me put a uh slip in some javascript that'll look like a, a gmail login page um mm-hmm. if i you know and i can and i've seen where people have uh like on ad networks they would buy um ads and then it would just be like some blob of code that you know, but the ad was actually like a malicious attack link um mm-hmm. and it was it was pretty bad so um yeah so or that's, or, that's or cool. tying
0: back to what our previous discussion, uh, what if they were? What if uh, Comcast was injecting canvas fingerprinting into this, and now suddenly Comcast is able to track because it knows where these Wi-Fi hotspots are. It's able to track the movement of users uh, from one place to another. Yep, yep, it's wonderful. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And then also from a, I guess a legal standpoint, as far as remember how. EFF, they they were doing the open hotspots um, where you know they, they would basically carve off a piece of of somebody's router uh, for the public to use, and that would give people plausible deniability, saying that oh well maybe it was me um, going to this website or maybe it was just some random person because I, I treat it as an open hotspot, and if they're doing that fingerprinting, uh, they could trace that fingerprint back to um, you and prove that it was you. Yikes. Yeah,
0: so scary. Okay, so there's but but uh, there's more examples of man-in-the-middle attacks, right? So what about uh, in the case of uh, mobile phones? Uh, what are the what are the potential man-in-the-middle attacks there?
1: Yeah, so there was and and so man-in-the-middle attacks are not limited to just computers. Um, and so this is with uh, cell towers. So now what's cropping up is uh, rogue cell towers. So whether it is in um, uh, States that are, you know, want to monitor traffic of their citizens or, um, or like say like police organizations that want to, um, you know, they, they suspect something going on instead of tapping somebody's phone, they just, uh, put a fake cell tower, um, in there and then everybody's phone will connect to it and it it could sniff on whoever they want to sniff.
0: Lovely. Um, that sounds really scary hmm Um and so I can imagine I can imagine the reasons for a country like Syria or a country like China using something like this, but this is all banned in the United States, right?
1: Nope. Nope. They found uh some at least one in Chicago. So it's like, you know, police organizations will use it, FBI, whatnot.
0: Um so and actually I found an article, uh I found an article in a Wired uh from back in March uh about uh, I think it was the ACLU found that in Nashville and in Florida, uh, as you say, law enforcement agencies were using these to uh, to track uh, uh, to track suspects. And when <laughs> uh, and apparently they were keeping their use of these MC catchers is what they're called uh, mm-hmm. using these MC catchers. They were keeping them secret and not even revealing to a judge the fact that that's how they were tracking the suspects. And when the ACLU started asking questions or the judges started asking questions about, well, how did you actually track this guy? Like, how did you track his physical location, uh, without this, uh, without this warrant? Um, the, uh, law enforcement agency said, well, I'm not allowed to tell you that, uh, the manufacturer of the tool, uh, in their EULA says that we're not allowed to talk about how they're, how they're being deployed.
1: Yeah. And I wonder if, and I'm sure they were all sad about that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um,
0: yeah. I, I just, I, uh, I got, I'm going to go ahead and get on a soapbox here again, kind of invigorated by, um, you know, I just spent the week with, uh, you know, 50, 60 people who are committed to. Uh, ensuring, you know, the free movement of information and a relative sense of anonymity um, on, you know, electronic networks. Uh, and they're mostly focused on folks like Burma, right, like China, um, Syria, wh- what have you. Uh, the fact that the exact same tools are being used so casually and with that, with such relatively little oversight um, in the United States by, not by national security organizations, but by law enforcement uh, mm-hmm. is just amazing to me. I mean, it makes me really alarmed. Um, I, Dave, have you, do you remember there was a series in the Washington post a number of months ago, or maybe it was over a year ago, uh, called top secret America. Do you remember this? I don't know. So it was, a uh, it was an excellent, uh, kind of multi-part story in the Washington post about the growth of, uh, kind of the national security industry, um, after September 11th. And, uh, what the authors describe and kind of what they were able to peel back is uh, kind of they saw all this money going into the industry, uh, but like very little is known about kind of how the money is spent. And for good reason, like a lot of the stuff is secret or classified and and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, One of their big conclusions is that a lot of the money for surveillance for counterterrorism and so on went to the local law enforcement agencies. And so uh, I think there's there's an example in the book, they turned the articles into a book, there's an example in the book about uh, a counterterrorism center in Reno, uh, which is being staffed by what they described as like counterterrorism analysts, uh, who were actually uh, previously, their previous job was 911 operators. Uh, hmm. And they were promoted uh, and that were now counterterrorism analysts and given tools like these MC catchers and, uh, you know, all the tools of surveillance, the uh, tagging, you know, license plate collection cameras, uh, you know, highway cameras um, and, and all those sorts of things. And those people were uh, those people were meant to be looking for terrorism. But it turns out there aren't that many terrorists running around in Reno. And so they started doing them to like solve burglaries. Uh, and so, especially in light of, you know, what happened in Ferguson a few weeks ago, um, and maybe again, just because I came off, uh, kind of a hyper paranoid <laughs> week <laughs> with these, uh, uh, with these, uh, uh, with these circumvention, uh, technology folks, um, I, I just, I'm getting very kind of philosophical and kind of introspective about, uh, how these tools are being used, um, to protect us and also, you know, also the new kind of dangers that they introduce.
1: So if I had an, an app on my phone that was written properly, that you know, it would do like secure end-to-end you know, TLS encryption. So it's, it's doing the certificate right in the app. It's making a, a nice secure connection back to um, you know, whatever server I want to talk to. Um, it should be that data in flight should not be visible to a rogue tower in, in the clear, right? That should just be an encrypted blob. Um, and that, that should be fine. It's, I guess the thing that you would need to worry about with those rogue towers is your voice communications, which can probably be easily cracked. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, your, your texting and then also your, um, any sort of apps or web access that is unencrypted.
0: Well, so in the case of the MC catchers, those are, uh, those are, I think those are less about kind of hijacking your connections, um, Mm -hmm. than they are about, uh, monitoring your location. Um, Ah, because you're, because you're, every phone has a unique address. Uh, Mm -hmm. this is the MC, this is where MC comes from. Um, every phone has a unique address and the MC catcher, uh, listens for that, listens for that ID, um, and keeps track of you passing the MC catcher, right? So if, if they if you have an IMSI catcher driving around in a van and they see that your, your phone's unique i d shows up they know that you are you know within whatever three hundred meters of where where they are yeah. yeah so uh but you're right, it could also be used to hijack you know this fake cell towers could also be used to to hijack actual data so there's a lot of a lot of different vectors, and the phone you know phone's got what nine a dozen sensors in it um and all of them are leaking data out of the bluetooth antenna out of the wi-fi antenna out of the gsm antenna um so there's a lot to worry about and in fact a staggering amount of stuff to worry about uh, depending on how paranoid you are Uh, Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult for i mean you and i like we talk about this every week um and Mm -hmm. and my understanding of it is not great um the chances of you know of the layperson, uh, being able to protect themselves in a reasonable way is really, um, is it's really <laughs> unlikely. Um, this, is, this is one of the reasons why I do the work with that OTF group is because they're building tools that make it easier to protect yourself uh, against stuff yep. like this. And so two examples, uh, both of them are from the same company called Open Whisper Systems. One is a, a red phone uh, which uh, encrypts voice calls uh, on Android, and so which is really great. Um, and then another, which is called TextSecure, which is like a drop-in replacement for uh, the SMS messaging system. Um, so uh, you can send plain text texts, uh, but if the system sees that the other person is also using TextSecure, um, then it will encrypt the text message. And there's no like stupid fiddling with you know private keys and public keys and all the rest of it. TextSecure hides all that stuff from the user. Um, so uh, it's so simple that you know uh, and. Uh, an uninformed person could, uh, would be able to use it. Um, in fact, uh, the Cyanogen folks are actually shipping TechSecure as the default SMS uh, tool. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. So, and the plan, is to, uh, the plan is to pull together RedPhone and TechSecure and kind of boil all that up over time uh, and basically create a very secure uh, version of Skype. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so, it, and actually, we found another project very similar called Talks, Tox, T-O-X, uh, which is met, which is also doing like kind of an encrypted Skype. So, you know, having a like an instant message slash SMS slash voice system um, that uh, provides for secure connections uh, between people, uh, which I think is wonderful. Um, I, mm-hmm. I really like the idea that there are so many different projects out there all competing uh, towards the same goal, which is to make this easy and transparent um, and uh, effortless. Uh, Cause that's, that's how it should be. Yep. I agree. Yep. All right. I'm, uh, I'm exhausted on this high horse. So I'm going to step down. Um, you, you need to take your phone and rip the battery out and throw the phone out the window. That's right, That's right. the wire style. I'm just going to yeah. crack it. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to use a different phone every six hours from now on. Yeah,
1: burner. Yeah. Burners. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Dave, if, uh, if folks want to learn more about those tools I just talked about, if they want to learn more about man-in-the-middle attacks, uh, if they want to learn more about the events uh, that are coming up, the sled event and the Montreal event, um, if they want to learn more about uh, this uh, terrifying tornado experience, uh, where, where do they go?
1: they need to go to dgshow.org so d and dave g is and dot show.org
0: great uh, thanks and uh, be safe out there yes yes
1: thanks everybody thanks Gunner.